Section 5 of Dog Heroes of Many Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dog Heroes of Many Lands by Sarah Noble Ives. Darky, a New Zealand dog. An old bullock stood innocently grazing near a clump of bushes. His eyes were brown wells of candor, but his ways were full of guile. Near to him, and hidden under the clump of bushes, lay a man and a black dog. No thoroughbred, the latter, just a New Zealand mongrel, homely and rough but with a keen intelligence and a will to serve his master man bullock and dog all were watching a herd of cattle that was grazing out on the plain one wing slowly swinging toward the watchers in a short time the three would be at work and each knew his part one more dark lady jemmy be ready one more and we'll call it a mob with eleven already if we get away with it and we always have it will be a good haul jemmy the old bullock looked at the man and at a gesture known to him began to move slowly toward the nearing herd a stock rider went suddenly by them but jemmy looked like and but for the absence of a brand might have been one of the herd and the man and the dog were well under cover the stock rider rode on and was soon lost in the dust ahead now jemmy in at em darky to your work darky leaped across the open jemmy singled out a fat steer and began to edge it away from the herd the dog nipping at his heels the man under the bushes chuckled they're a great pair they play the hands and i take the trick slowly and skilfully the steer was separated from its fellows now it disappeared behind a clump of bushes in company with its new-found friend jemmy the bullock though rather confused and bewildered by the manoeuvres of darky as they passed from sight, the man rolled himself under the bushes and came out on the side away from the unconscious herd, all quiet out there, and the theft of a steer had not been noticed by a soul. It was an old trick, this. The herders called it cattle lifting. The man, we will call him Steed, was known by name to every herder in the south island of new zealand and vainly had he been hunted and tracked he rode no horse and had ways of disappearing just when his pursuers were sure of him the old bullock always looked mild and innocent and darky well where his master could hide he could very carefully had steed trained his quaint partners in crime 
who worked simply for their master, not knowing they were thieves. And cunning, indeed, was the whole plan. All that was known was that here, there, and anywhere, a fine beast might disappear, always from a point unwatched by the herders. So today, as on many other days, the dog and bullock did their master's nefarious hiding. Sheltered by bushes and rocks, they drove the steer along a complete and selected cover, which had served their purpose many a time. Down through a dry water course they went, and no one the wiser. No great need for caution here. There was no grass to tempt the herds, no trail to follow. The rolling pebbles left no sign of passing, and the men following behind covered all possible tracks. Now the banks grew steeper, and great rocks overhung the sides with a most comforting shade, for it was midday and the sun was hot. Suddenly around the bend, in the tiny canon, appeared a trickle of water, then green grass, and now there opened out the most delightful of tiny meadows, wallowed in by the rocks, and here and there, grazing contentedly ankle-deep in the infant stream, stood eleven fat cattle, the latest comer completing the round dozen. Now then, there will be no halting for lunch. Get your drinks, Jemmy and Darky. That's all. We've got to be out of here. And on the quive vive, Montrose got wind of us, and every last one of this bunch is branded deep enough to hang me. So it's Southland for us, and an all-night trip. Darky, herd them out. On down the watercourse went the little herd until the rock walls dwindled and were lost in a rolling down, and a wide plain stretched out before them. Steed gave a swift look around the horizon. Nothing stirred in all that great sweep of country. They must cross the open and reach the woodland on the other side before they could feel safe from pursuit. Pity it could not have been done after nightfall. But there was no time to be lost. We must reach the butchers in Southland, some of whom did not hesitate to buy branded cattle. Branded hide could easily be destroyed, and after that, what evidence could be found? Across the plain trailed the little mob of cattle, not another living thing in sight. A half hour more, one river to cross and down in the green shadows on the other side was a strat getaway to Southland, and the buyers waiting. At the river bank, Jamie's wisdom came once more into play. There was a bridge farther down, but it would not be safe to cross a bridge. The current was deep and swift, but Jamie was strong and at the word he plunged in. 
steed who could not swim held tightly to his tail and thus won to the further side darky remained with the cattle old jemmy floundered up the bank and began to below melodiously and invitingly as if he had reached a land of clover and rice grass darky prodded the heels of the stolen herd one by one they accepted jemmy's invitation and soon the whole twelve were whirling along down and across the indefatigable darky always behind now it remained only for them to strike the old trail in and out among the bushes went the cattle dipping their muscles into the rich grass and now they disappeared into the undergrowth of the forest then into the twilight of the stately kauri pines safe at last halt steed's hand went to his hip pocket no use we've got you covered you're caught this time and with the goods three six eight grinding heads appeared from behind a fallen log montross stepped forward and quizzically eyed the procession that's a great little mass of brands you're driving mertons comstocks quarrens fearings god there's one of mine too well we'll take em in charge they needn't trouble you any more where do you get the old bullock he isn't branded steed did not answer for a moment the end had come for him he had no doubt of that after all these years of successful cattle lifting the one time too many had arrived well he was game the bullock's mine his old jemmy and this here's darky now you know the firm they've done the business and that's why you never caught on to the way i work it ho ho i see well it was a great game you had us guessing there won't be much guessing for you though we've got a little court all waiting for you at southland judge jury and clerk we'll try all three of you get your horses fellows and we'll start and they were tried all three short shrift they made of steed twelve branded cattle were evidence enough the jury found him guilty and the judge sentenced him to prison for a long term exit steed poor old jemmy when it came his turn he did not understand the court however thought it a great joke he was tried and convicted on circumstantial evidence without a word to say for himself and sentenced to be shot one crack of a rifle and it was all over for jemmy as for darky he too was tried convicted and condemned to death somehow no one had the heart to carry out the sentence 
on the spot. He had been a thief, but he had only done his master's bidding, according to his training. Although the jury was against him, his plucky eye gained for him many a friend in the audience. Particularly, there was one who had seen that passage across the river with the herd. Darky was given a reprieve of one night. Next morning, in Darky's prison cell, was found an old, decrepit black dog. No questions were asked. The dog was killed according to the sentence. Thus Darky died by proxy, and the law had no further hold on him. Neither were any questions asked when a young herder sold a black dog to Belcher, one of the rich sheep herders of the country. Darky himself was the only questioner. It is all very well for a man to buy a dog who has already been trained to a certain kind of service. But Darky had a mind of his own in the matter. He had loved his old master, and they had taken him away. Very well, he was not prepared to serve any master who came along and paid money for him. He had the right of an educated dog to choose. Work for Belcher, he would not. Belcher was not a good man, nor a gentle. He shouted and swore at Darky, and he whipped him. Then, in a fit of anger, he seized his gun. But as he trained his eye along the stock and cocked the trigger, there was no Darky to aim at. He had no intention of standing to be shot like old Jemmy, not he. Now, Hori, Belcher's Maori shepherd, big, black, and good-natured, asked if he might take the dog. Belcher swore again. Oh, take the cur if you like. He's no good to me, nor to anybody. I'll save my cartridge for something worthwhile. Hori whistled to Darky, who was skulking behind a group of sheep herders. Every man at the Rugged Hills sheep station was watching, and more than one would have liked to take the black dog for his own, should Hori fail. There was a moment of silence. Darky took a good canny look at Hori. The man was of his own color, and his eyes were friendly. Darky concluded to trust him and came forward. Horry said a few words in a soft voice, patted the dog's head, and when Horry struck out for his hut, Darky dropped to heel and followed him, as if the question of master was settled. Horry's hut was on Weka Flat, many miles from the rugged hills station, but Darky traveled untirely. On the way, Horry from his seat, on Mulhalle Brothers, his horse, talked to the dog, and although the Maori language was unknown to Darky, somehow an understanding grew up between the black man and the black dog. 
and from the time when Hori sat down on the door sill of his little hut and took the quivering muzzle between his two hands, there was never any question who was Darky's master. Waka Flat was a dull country, and the life was dull. The flat itself was a small tract of grass country, surrounded by hills that were clothed monotonously in bunches of yellow tussock. No one ever came that way. It was an outlying district on Belcher's property, and not even another shepherd had occasion to pass through it. Hori lived quite alone, with the flock he tended and two of Belcher's sheepdogs. Darky did not find it dull, however. He was much too busy from the first. His old training stood him in good stead. He was accustomed to obey a gesture, and Horace soon taught him by signs to obey him. Belcher's shouted orders had simply confused him. The first time Horace sent him into the flock, Darky singled out a fat, fine-conditioned sheep and brought him proudly to his new master. But he soon learned that the whole flock was his and felt his importance accordingly. He liked driving the big herd, and it was not long before Hori could send him alone miles away to gather the sheep. He would return wagging his tail triumphantly and without one missing his old master had never had more than a few cattle or sheep at a time and these were constantly changing it was good to be driving the same flock day after day until one knew every old year and weather by sight several months went by and darky was a happy contented dog there came a day when there was a grand muster and hori and darky started down the country with a mob of five hundred fat weathers darky was in ecstasies of excitement he ran hither and thither as if he were joint owner with hori it was three days journey and the first night found them camped near a river bottom with little hills rising all about them bare and ghostly the flock for some reason seemed uneasy and darky had trouble quieting them down for the night as hori and darky were finishing their evening meal a drop of rain fell on hori's forehead hori Look it around. The daylight had long since faded, but even in the dark, one could see a much darker mass rolling up from the west. Hori shrugged his shoulders, made his camp under an overhanging rock where the rain could not reach him, and fell dead asleep. His horse grazed quietly near him and it was Darky's watch. The drops came thicker and faster, and now fell a torrent of rain. 
such a flood had not been known in that region for years hour after hour it poured down rivulets began to flow in the little water courses down the hills everywhere toward the dry river bed and now it was no longer dry the little streams gathered their forces and made a big stream a roaring tumbling mass that swelled and grew rolling down the valley a black dog thrust his nose into Horry's face and was gone again Horry, half awakened threw out his arm and his hand touched a rim of water he sprang up and looked around a gray glimmer of dawn showed him the rising river at his very feet it was no longer even a river it was a flood of muddy tossing foam out of which rose the little hills like islands the dwellers in that land still talk of the wall of water that rose suddenly and swept away houses and people devastating whole tracts of country there was no time to be lost if hori would save himself the sheep he could see nowhere in the dim light and darky too had disappeared lost all of them no doubt there was no chance for them in this mad sweeping chaos of water Horry's horse stood near him whining with fear there was a way out along a rocky ledge just a bare chance now half in the water now stumbling over slippery rocks now leaping from islet to islet gradually Horry and Mohale brothers worked to higher ground half drowned and with the horse gasping for breath Horry saw on a hilltop safe above the flood a homestead at its very doorstone Mohale brothers fell exhausted saved but the flock and darky poor darky where were they lost for a certainty Horry's heart sunk as he thought of belcher and his certain anger and of his black four-footed friend darky had wakened him or he too would have been drowned there was nothing to do but wait three endless days and then the water fell as suddenly as it had risen Horry made his way back to his broken camp everything had been swept away there was no sign anywhere of the sheep flung to their death they must have been on that awful night listen surely that was a sheep bleating around the hillock Horry rode toward the sound that grew ever louder his heart pounded at his throat a dog's bark sounded clearly and then the wonder there on a bachelor hill 
spread out over the whole rounding top of it, surged a mass of woolly fleece, and from side to side of it ran a weary, half-starved black dog. Hori was off his horse, in a twinkling, and Darky was in his arms, panting, crying, mumbling his ears and fingers for very gladness and relief from his long watch. Darky had been with Hori for two years when Belcher put the stout Maori and another shepherd in charge of a herd that was to be taken to Mount Cook District. This was not a difficult track, except for the fact that they must pass a glacier-fed river, whose waters were cold, so cold that animals passing through it shivered for a whole day after. There were no bridges, no way across for the sheep and horses but to swim. The men and dogs went over on a rickety platform-like machine, drawn through the air on a wire rope, thirty feet above the rushing torrent. It was a crazy affair at the best, carrying in a most fearsome way, and the landing was dangerous and rocky. As they neared the farther side, the dogs scrambled to be first on the ground. There was a slip, a shudder, and Darky was pitched from the platform to the rocks beneath. A cry, the only cry of pain he ever uttered, and Darky rolled to the edge of the water and disappeared. Only for a minute, then Hori saw him rise to the surface not swimming, but beating the water with his paws as if he were hurt. With a leap, Hori landed on the rocks on all fours. Scrambling to his feet, he raced along downstream to the water's edge. Lying down, he stretched out an arm just as the dog came floating past. Darky saw his master and gave one pleading glance for help, and then Hori reached him, reached him by one ear, and drew him in. Darky could not help himself. Hori lifted him out of the water and looked him over. His right hind leg was broken, and there was something the matter with his hip. Shoot him, said the other shepherd. He's no good any more. For a moment Hori did not answer. He rose to his feet with Darky in his arms. I get him home, he said. You take the sheep. Easy way now. You'll be fired. Belcher won't stand for it if you desert. I get him home, was Horace's only answer, as he mounted Mulholly brothers, who had landed safely in front of the flock. Horry knew a shortcut, dangerous but shorter by twelve miles. On this trail he started. Darky lay in his arms, suffering silently but trusting his master to do what was best. And Moholy Brothers, too, did his best, glad of the exercise that warmed his frozen blood. Over to Suck and Spaniard they bounded. 
down the stony bed of a trickling stream where the pebbles rolled and the horse stumbled and risked his knees now he tore past echoing rock which sent back the sound of galloping in mysterious sighs now through scrub now through the open now down to a river which hori knew to be the cruel waitaki with its wicked waters and treacherous hidden quicksands carefully they picked their way here once mulhali brothers put a foot forward and went down down only by a violent jerk back upon the reins did hori save his horse from the inevitable death that would have followed another step safe on the other side at last now there was a dizzy climb up the steep bank then a trail to be followed along the edge of a black chasm a stone rolled under the horse's foot and well it was only one of those many chances that saved them from falling three hundred feet over the cliff now there was a climb down a hillside over a mass of shale and rubbish left by the rains a little farther on and there before them lay weka flat and home no time to lose now darky who had lain unconscious through the last hour opened his piteous eyes as hori bent over him nursing his hurts the pain was fearful but the plucky fellow never winced he knew hori loved him and that the pain of setting and binding the splintered bones was help then came the knitting of the bones convalescence and recovery no not that for never again would poor darky do more than crawl to the door and lie basking in the sun there was some internal hurt that hori with all his gentle nursing could not reach back to belcher's at last went hori carrying the useless darky perhaps belcher would discharge him for deserting his duty to the flock there is no doubt that belcher would have sent him to the right about had it not been that at this time there was a shortage of hands at the rugged hills station as it was he got off with a tongue lashing and was given a position at the station itself nothing was said about darky's present condition and belcher did not know until well it was winning time when lambs were separated from their mothers and all sheep herders know how difficult it is to manage the flock of ignorant homesick babies the air was full of their lamentations and one stronger-minded than the usual run of lambs broke for home and mother this should have been darky's cue for action and darky tried the other lambs started to follow the belligerent one and darky hobbled to his feet went a little way then looked up at hori sadly 
no use. Darky would never run any more. The lambs scattered far and wide, and all the morning's work was to be done over. And Belcher saw. That was the worst of it. Saw. In spite of the fact that Hori tried to shield the dog. What's the matter with that cur? Hori looked down. Darky sicky dog, he said at last. Well, we aren't keeping sick dogs at this station. If they can't drive sheep, they go. Hear that? He looked sharply at the big Maori. So that's what you were up to when you deserted the flock nursing a sick dog bah he kicked at darky but hori stood between and got the blow see here no hand of mine can fool away his time like that i'll dispose of that nuisance you take him over to the boundary i'll teach him to work for a nigger when he wouldn't work for me leave him there and then come back and attend to your business or get out. Do you hear? The thieving mongrel must go. Take him at once. And if I catch him here again, a boundary dog's life is the life of a prisoner. He is simply chained on the outskirts of the range to scare away intruders. No good dog is ever given the position. It is the useless the unteachable the good-for-nothing dogs who are reduced to this so at castle bluffs hori chained darky and went back to his work with a heavy heart every day when his other work was done hori rode over on muhalle brothers seven miles fed and watered darky fondled him for a short half hour and then rode back to the station all day long darky barked and howled his misery to the yellow tussocks serving his purpose through his very sorrow at nightfall he sat with his eyes strained over the distance out of which hori would presently appear fed and comforted he would pull through the night to begin another lonely day one afternoon it was christmas eve and hot stifling weather on the south island of new zealand darky was wakened from a nap by a friendly shout he jumped to his feet and saw rising toward him one of the herders from belchers the man stopped dismounted and bent over the dog darky old boy you're having a tough time of it out here alone aren't you i've a mind yes i'll do it belcher is off to southland on a spree and he'll never know how would you like to spend christmas with hori darky barked with joy at hori's name here goes come on there'll be no harm done the boundary will be all there when we bring you back the chain was loosened, and with Darky in his arms, the herder leaped to his saddle and was off for the station. There he delivered the dog to the surprised Maori. 
Ah, but that was a happy Christmas Eve for the two. Darky snuggled close to Hori as he sat in the compound. At night they slept in the same bed. Morning came and Darky hobbled close to Hori's heels, his eyes lighting up at every word from his master. Belcher would not be back before the next day, and at nightfall, Hori would ride back and leave Darky at his post. High noon and rest time for the man, Darky lay asleep at Hori's feet in the happy Christmas sunshine. The silence of the wide New Zealand country lay around them. Hori's glance at the black friend at his feet was soft and tender. A sound of horses' hoofs, a slamming gate, and a stream of ugly oaths broke upon the stillness. Darky opened his eyes with a low growl. Hori jumped to his feet. Yes, the unexpected had happened. There sat Belcher on his foam-flecked horse. He was, as they say in that country, a bit on. He had a grievance. The sun and draught, not to mention whiskey, had upset him. He had come home sooner than was anticipated and was primed for trouble. His eyes lighted on Darky and Hori. Ha! You nigger! So that's the way you use my time when I'm gone. What's that dog doing here? Hori looked foolish, but could not reply. Ha! Stand out of the way if you don't want to be shot. Belcher leveled his pistol full at the dog's head, and Hori, instead of jumping to one side, seized Darky and held him between his knees. Don't shoot him, please, massa. I'll count three. One, two... Are you going to drop him? Three? A good shot. Belcher's intoxication did not hinder his markmanship. Straight between Horry's hands, he aimed and fired. Darky was led on the grass. Never more would he be a boundary dog. A glaze stole over his eyes. They would never light again at the sound of Hori's voice. Hori stood dazed, looking at Belcher, so white he would never have known him to be a full-blooded Maori. Come up to the house for your check as soon as you like. The black man stooped and lifted the body of the black dog in his arms. Hori make you Christmas gift of money. Without another word, he turned and left rugged hills station forever end of section five